There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, welcome back to the show. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto. Wolfgang Klein, your host. Jack Hartle in the studio, my wingman. And uh, we got ourselves a uh, well dynamic lineup uh, to help wrap up the week that was. Don Velo, author of Stock Tweets and at Equity Clock, uh, a regular guest. Uh, I call him a strategist. Uh, he's also a seasonal investor. So we just, well, tis a season for change as the month of June uh, unfolds. Uh, then we're going to speak with an author, uh, Gordon Stein. He wrote a book called The Cash Flow Cookbook. $2 million of financial freedom in 60 easy recipes. It's basically about cheaping out. And hey, $2 million bucks if you have to cheap out, maybe. Uh, we're going to end it off with uh, our favorite realtor, Brad Lamb, president of Brad Lamb Realty. And it's always great to get a pulse on the condo and real estate market from an expert in Canada. Uh, but let's get uh, over to Don Velo and uh, welcome into the studio, Don. Thanks for having me back. It's our pleasure. Uh, so, Don, you're a seasonal investor, you're, um, and again, you're, 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 you're a seasoned investor as well. A uh, lot of respect uh, for people who've uh, put in some time uh, on Bay Street and Wall Street. But uh, here we are in the month of June. Um, May wasn't a bad month. Uh, January was a great month. February, March were weak. So, I don't know about the seasonal thing. Uh, the, the, the season of strength wasn't, and now we're coming to the period of seasonal weakness, and well, May, so far, selling May go away wouldn't have been good if you did that on my birthday, which is May Day, May 1st. Yes, actually, in Canada, seasonality is a little bit different than other world markets. Uh, historically, during the last 20 years, the uh, Canadian market uh, has peaked on Jan June the 1st and has moved lower right through until October the 12th. On average, during the last 20 periods, the market's gone down 3.5%. But that's not the whole story. What you want to look at is the data behind that. Uh, during the last 20 years, the TSE composite has actually gone up 13 of those years. It's gone down seven of those years. Mm -hmm. The key is that uh, during the seven years when it went lower, it went substantially lower. Uh, the, uh, that means excess of 12% per period. So it means that in the summertime from uh, May or the June to middle of October, Things can happen which tend to be not so pleasant. Yeah, they can. And we've witnessed like 2011 is, is fresh in my mind. That was a tough summer. Uh, you had the uh, U.S. European debt, debt crisis. Debt, well, you had the European debt crisis and you had the uh, American debt, debt downgrade. Ceiling, uh, the debt ceiling. Mm -hmm. uh, so they were basically going to be, what, they froze the government for, uh, couldn't, couldn't make the payments. They obviously came through in the end, but there was a lot of talk about that. Um, but here we are in the second year of a uh, presidential cycle. And the second year tends to be the toughest for the equity markets. I think on average, year number two, markets I think on average are about flat, like dead, dead even on the year. And so, so far, that's actually holding up to the year because the US uh, year to date is up about 2%. Canada is, I think, barely uh, even, in fact, maybe slightly negative. Um, so let's overlay then seasonal investing with the second year of a presidential term. Sure, there's three things to look at. There's the seasonality that you've mentioned. There's the technicals, where the market is right now, and also the fundamentals. What are, the, what are they telling us right now? Looking at the seasonality, historically, when you get into a midterm election year, 
Things don't go very well in both the U.S. and Canadian equity markets. The problem is that you get political rhetoric starting to ramp up, and that causes more volatility in markets. The question is, is that going to happen this year? And the answer is yes, and the reason is because the uh, control of Congress is very, very close right now. A small change can change can flip the control from Republicans to Democrats. And already Nancy Pelosi is talking that she, she gains control of the House of Representatives. She's going to be talking about impeachment. Lots of concerns coming into the summer. Interesting. Yeah. So we got ourselves a bit of volatility, perhaps. Um, but let's bring this back home now to the to uh, investors. Um, and again, I like to focus perhaps on 50-year-old investors who still have 10 or 15 years of wealth accumulation uh, and retirees. Um 3% decline in the market on average between June and October, yet 12-month return on average for equity markets in the TSX is just, I think, the 50-year average for the TSX, probably, what, 9.5%? The S&P, probably 11.5% compound return. So to do you think retail investors, the, the person who's sitting at home right now listening to this show, do you think they can effectively get out of the market to save the 3% downdraft and then get back in to participate in the upswing? Do you think they're capable of doing that? It's possible because this is the period when you're going to get more volatility and the more likelihood of a significant decline of, say, 12% or more, then you want to be more careful. So looking at some of the factors that could have an impact this year, let's look at uh, fundamentals. Let's look at uh, how stocks are responding to quarterly earnings. Well, 11 weeks ago, we started uh, getting numbers in the United States for first quarter results. Mm -hmm. And... Results have been spectacular. Earnings in the U.S. for S&P 500 companies are up almost 25%. And despite that, the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500 index are flat. That tells you that the markets are not responding in the U.S. What about Canada? We've had a classic example just recently with Canada's banks. Uh, Mm -hmm. The banks in Canada reported all their fiscal second quarter results uh, during the last 10 days. Yeah. And the results were spectacular, earning significantly exceeding mm-hmm. consensus estimates. And yet the ZEB, which is the equally weighted bank ETF, yeah. is down 3% yeah. over the past week. Yeah. That tells you that stocks are not responding to good news. Yeah. You know, we saw Royal Bank's down below par. It's about 96 bucks. We saw Scotiabank, we got a result. It pulled back. And you know, you know the funny thing is, Don, I actually sold a little bit of the Royal Bank, and I bought the marijuana index for the summer. Uh, as, a, as a seasonal <laughs> trade. <laughs> hey, when the sun is shining, I guess the plants grow. I don't know. Um, look, Don, we're going to pay some bills around here, my good friend, but uh, stay tuned. We've got some more questions to speak with Don Velo, author of Stock Twits at Equity Clock, right after this on Hi-Fi Radio. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Safe and warm, month of June. Don Velo's in the studio, Hi-Fi Radio. Don Velo is a uh, seasonal strategist. Uh, he's also author at uh, Stock Twits at Equity Clock. And uh, Don and I worked uh, over a decade ago at one of those big banks. And uh, yeah, so we have a good uh, relationship. Um, Don, you mentioned uh, 
earlier uh, that uh, perhaps the markets this year are going to be a little bit more volatile normally from the historically from the month of uh, May to the or month of June to uh, October the markets pull off about 3% you said uh, you said but perhaps this year the markets could fall 10 or 12% um, so why do you have that uh, uh, thesis in mind well that gets to the third factor and that is technically where is the Canadian market right now and one of the things to watch is the percentage of stocks trading above their 50 day moving average uh, historically, when that uh, range gets above 70%, you start to say, okay, markets are overbought. I look for the possibility of a correction coming in. And uh, uh, late this week, uh, the, uh, that ratio was at 73% and showing early signs of rolling over. So technically, markets are showing some possible signs of moving lower into the summertime. After saying that, there's always things you can buy, even in the summertime. That's what I was going to say, Don. You talked about a lot of weakness coming in the summertime. So, uh, you know, as a long-term investor, how can we take advantage of that? Or how can the clients take advantage of that in their own portfolios? What there's would you a, look for? Sure, there's a couple of things which uh, are interesting. Historically, uh, the defensive stocks do very well. Things like consumer uh, stable stocks do quite well. Give, uh, give us an example of one of those. Sure, an example uh, of an ETF is XST. It's one of the iShares product, which is a basket of uh, Canadian staple consumer staple uh, stocks. Yeah, I, I, honestly, I can't think of too many Canadian consumer staple. I, I think of Procter and Gamble and Kellogg's. Those are American, but give me a couple of Canadian staples. No, like Loblaws is a big good example. For sure. Anything related to food production uh, would be in that category. Okay. But if, uh, probably a more interesting one is what happens with gold and gold stocks in the summertime. And that's the one which historically has been the, mo- the most fun in the summertime. And historically, from around the end of July, right through until approximately the first week in October, gold and gold stocks move higher. Now, uh, that's an interesting possibility coming up this year as well. Go, is go, that what sort of makes Canada different? You said uh, before Canada has a bit of a different tune to seasonality. Is that because of our exposure to resources and gold being one of those resources? Particularly gold, that's correct. Uh, the, it's been interesting that some of the Canadian gold stocks already this year are starting to show some interesting technical patterns. Uh, uh, last week, we saw several uh, of the big gold producers in Canada or related to uh, the gold side uh, move higher. Uh, thinking of Gold Corp and Agnico Eagle, and uh, even wheat and precious metals uh, moved nicely higher last week. And they've actually been doing that with a strong U.S. dollar, which makes it even more powerful because normally gold stocks would do whatever would be opposite uh, of whatever the U.S. dollar would be, do, would be doing. That's right? a good point. Uh, that's really important because yeah. you've seen gold stocks moving higher, uh, despite the fact that the U.S. dollar is 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 moving significantly higher. So the key is to watch uh, some the, the TSX Gold Index very closely. Uh, it's been trading in a range for the last three months. It's currently trading around the, uh, let's see. Are you talking about the XGD? Uh, okay, that's uh, talking the index itself, uh, trading around 190. And uh, the breakout is at 194. So we're getting very, very close. There are lots of ways of doing it. You mentioned the XGD is the easiest way of doing it. I hate that instrument. It. I hate the instrument. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I just it, for me, I just can't successfully trade the XGD. Uh, it, it, it's saddled with 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 Barrick, um, and it just seems to move like watching. It's like watching paint dry. Uh, well, let me ask you, what about Yamana Gold? That one came up uh, from a listener uh, last week when I was on BNN asking about Yamana Gold. I just quick, I don't own the stock, and I just quickly looked at the chart, and the chart looked like it was down on the mat. Maybe it's setting up a, a good opportunity, a fabulous risk reward. I don't know. Uh, what's your opinion on Yamana? 
Yeah, I haven't looked at the chart on that one, so okay. I can't tell. But what you want to do when going into individual gold stocks this summer is watch for the ones that are outperforming the uh, gold index itself. Mm-hmm. That's a leading indicator that something else is going on other than just the price of gold. And that's probably the best uh, choices to make. And then w- would you prefer to own the commodity or would you prefer to own the producers of gold? Another great question. One of the things I've done recently is I looked at the ratio between gold stocks and the price of gold. The best time for a seasonal trade in gold and gold stocks is when the gold stocks are outperforming the price of, go- of gold. And that's happening already. It's happened during the last few weeks. So the question is, buy, so the answer is buy gold stocks, not the commodity. Yes, definitely. Interesting. That could be a nice change because for the decade when gold went from 250 to almost 2,000, or it probably eclipsed 2,000, I'm speaking about 2001 to 2008, uh, the commodity was the place to be, not the miners. Uh, you made money in the miners, but not nearly uh, the kind of money you would have made in the commodity itself. So now what you think it might be reversed by the, by the stocks over the commodity? Yes, watch that ratio very closely. And so far, it seems to be working. Gold stocks are currently outperforming uh, gold, and that's a good sign that the seasonal trade in gold and gold stocks will happen once again this year. Great. Well, look, Don Vila, it's always a treat to have you in the studio. Again, I, I really respect your your, your, your tenureship in the business, uh, and I just hope you keep uh, keep at it. You're a great student of this game, and it's a very, very fun game. Uh, and it's a very serious game with big consequences, so we've got to do a good job taking care of our clients because our future is in their hands. It truly is. Uh, Hi-Fi Radio will be back with you. We are going to help you well, uh, cook up some recipes to save some money. Uh, we got ourselves Gordon Stein, uh, author of Cashflow Cookbook, right after this. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. There's nothing like the view from the cheeks. Yeah, it works, I guess, eh? Now, Jack picked that song, by the way. Uh, Those cheap seats are pretty good. Up with, <laughs> up with the bleachers there. I did it once. You gotta watch out for the rowdies, but yeah. No, it's like, it is fun. Um, I guess a year ago, my, my brother in law uh, bought, I think, 28 or 30 cheap seat tickets. And I think we were six rows from the top at uh, this, uh, the Rogers Center. And oh boy, taking those steps up, it is steep. And I really would not want to drink too much because walking down those steps from the cheap seats can be deadly. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, so, I'm surprised. There must be a lot of lawsuits against uh, the rents of Rogers Center. So, you know, a little slippery floor from some Oh spilled, yeah, spilled yeah, yeah, for sure. There's some characters up there, no doubt. Yeah, they seem to have a lot more fun in the cheap seats. Yep. Um, my wife always said that about the Titanic. She said, you know, all the elite were on the main deck and then down below were the Irish. And that's where the fun really was. Uh, and we're in studio here with Gordon uh, St- uh, Steen. Uh, he's the author of the Cash Flow Cookbook, uh, $2 million of financial freedom and 60 easy recipes. Um, so Jack and I went through the book. Uh, Jack actually really liked your book a lot, so much so he wants to have you on as a regular guest. He wants to talk about every single chapter in detail. Fabulous. Uh, he, just lo- <laughs> he just loves the concept. Um, uh, well, you know what? It's, it's simple things that anyone can do. Uh, it's uh, it's about creating value, and it's about you know stretching that dollar. So I think it's important. There was a show on, on television a couple of years ago called Extreme Cheapskates. You ever see that show? I haven't seen it. No. Oh, you got you got it. You want to take a look at it? All right. Uh, but th- this is going beyond reusing tea bags. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- this is recycling <laughs> rainwater. This is um, it, it, they, they called it the fiscal fast. Uh, the fiscal fast was when you. Uh, for a week, do not buy any groceries, and you eat only what's in your house. And all of a sudden, you, you pull out some uh, 
historic items probably from the back of your freezer. Uh, <laughs> and away you go. Uh, extreme cheapskates. Uh, nauseating. I, 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 but anyway, you're, you're not really about being cheap. You're about being, I think, frugal. Uh, finding value. Finding value. Sure. So, yeah. so, so let's, let's go through some of your, you got yeah. 60 different ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, give us your, some of your favorite ideas that people really uh, smile at and say, gee, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing started with a friend of mine, Peter, who found a, a car washer seat in the console of my car. And so why would you spend money on car washes? And at the time, I thought, you know, $13, is that, you know, going to matter? And then I started looking at the math of this thing. And so I got one of these SO speed passes and not paying for a car wash. I haven't paid for one in three years. So I thought, not a big deal, 25 bucks a month. Got one from my spouse, and there was 50 Then I heard one of these discounted home alarm monitoring things on the radio. Another $25 a month, there was 75 And I thought, what else is there? So that led to the whole process of going through and finding all of them. So car wash one was kind of an interesting and fun one. Um, other ones that are interesting. Yeah, but this car yeah. wash thing, so I want to yeah. stop you right there to, again, yeah. just to help the listeners out there because I hate washing my car. Yeah. Um, and so I, I do spend with the 11 bucks and I usually buy gas so you get a $2 discount. whoop de doo But yeah. I, want, I, I want my car to be reasonably clean and minimize the rust. And I drive a 14-year-old car. You'd love me. People don't realize that if you wash your car in the winter, you get the salt off it. You won't, right. you won't have that rust. Right. Right. It saves you down the road. Yeah, it does. You, I you, like Jack. I, I like Jack too. We we have to save money, and <laughs> and, and cars are huge expenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, let, let's talk about that then, yeah. in terms of your um, uh, research on the expense of an automobile. Mm-hmm. Well, so many things there on the car wash thing was just a starting kit. But one of the ones that was really interesting is commuting costs. So if you look at a lot of the articles out there now on shopping around for gas, I mean to me that's ludicrous to go from gas station to gas station or online tools. But what can make a huge difference in the commute is, hey, what are some of the things you can do to really take the cost down? So often people will park uh, right underneath the office that they're working at and pay that daily rate. Not me. Right. You do a little bit of shopping. I I park around the corner. I get some exercise. You know how much money I save doing that? Yeah. 300 bucks a month. That's it. Exactly. I I don't worry. I spend it somewhere else. So I came. (laughs) But I I came. Gordon, your your idea though, actually shopping around, going to condos in the area, finding someone that has an empty parking spot and going, talking to them. Yeah. They're on the board. Yeah. Right. They they rent them out for, what do you pay for your? uh, I'm 190 a month now. I was going to say, if you can find. Yeah, if you can find a condo that has an empty parking spot, you could probably negotiate a better deal. You probably could, yeah. yeah well, yeah. even faster, there's an app I found called Best Parking, and it, it knows your location. It'll show you all of the prices of all the monthly parking right around where you are. The app so, is called? Bestparking.com. Best oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Super fast, and then there's no, you don't even have to walk anywhere. Mm-hmm. So if it doesn't have your area, you do a little shopping around. So two lunch breaks, you could probably save 100 a month. Have you done any work on um, leasing cars versus uh, holding on to a car until uh, it no longer operates? Like I'm, again, I'm driving a 14-year-old car. I repeat, it's 14 years yeah, old. Yeah. Um, the value of my car now is about $3,000 on a good day. Yeah. Um, so I'm not the the the, the, the cat, my asset cannot depreciate a whole lot more. But Jack yeah. and I always talk about automobiles, and it's a depreciating asset. Right on. Jack and I like to purchase for our clients appreciating mm-hmm. assets, things right that on. go up in price. Your right. house goes up in price over time. Good quality stocks go up in price over time. Automobiles, unless it's a collectible, it's going to go down in price the day you buy it, and yeah. it's going to continue to do that until well the end of time. Yeah. Uh, so uh, does it make sense? Do you believe? to hold a car for 15 or 20 years and, and then get involved in that whole maintenance uh, schedule because that's what th- that is a trade off i got to you know spend money on maintenance on my car again my argument is i spend about 2000 to 2500 dollars a year mm-hmm. on maintenance now on my car mm-hmm. but if i were to lease a new car it would cost me 450 bucks a month uh, so that's almost double to drive a new car yeah 
I think you'll hold them for a while. I think there's no question. I think it's a big difference in cars today versus cars uh, from back in my era, and I think you might be around my vintage, yep. Wolfgang. Um, but now you're not buying exhausts. You know, I just got rid of a 10-year-old uh, Acura MDX, 262,000 kilometers, so I get it completely. And its last voyage was off to the dump to carry away some construction debris from my house, and I debated leaving it there because I only got $2,500 for it. But so cheap to run uh, once you keep them into those later years. They are, yeah. Well, you know, I look forward to every year. I look forward to the Minden Derby, uh, the uh, smash-up derby, because that's exactly <laughs> what happens to those old cars. Uh, they end up in Minden. Yeah. They take out the gas tank. Yeah. Uh, they get a jerry can. They put in the back seat to make it a little fireproof, and off they go. Uh, oh, yeah, the Minden smash-up derby. It's huh? so much fun. And if you don't want to go to that one, you want to go to the one in uh, Kinmount. Ooh, <laughs> I'm telling you. Anyways, uh, we're going to talk more with Gordon Stein, author of the Cash Flow Cookbook, here to help you save some money. And this is so street level. So, folks, stay tuned for this one right after this on Hi-Fi Radio. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, a show about money, but also a little high fidelity every now and then. We like to weave in. Uh, Jack Hartle, my wingman, is in studio. Wolfgang Klein, your host. And we have Gordon Stein in studio, author of the Cash Flow Cookbook, $2 million of financial freedom and 60 easy recipes. Um, so let, let's start with the headline here. And then I want to go into a specific one, uh, which I find quite kind of comical. But... Truth be told, if, if someone were to pick up your book yeah. and, and, and um, follow your 60 recipes, mm-hmm. uh, over what period of time would that equate into $2 million? So if you could apply everything in the book, and not everyone would, sure. um, in what I call the hearty serving, which would be typically a married couple, they've got a cottage, they've got some kids, cell phones, those kinds of things. Uh, over 10 years, if you took all the savings in the book, invested at 7%, probably with you, Wolfgang, you'd see a total of uh, over $2 million, $2.3 million. You're not kidding. You, you've I'm done the math. 10-year period mm-hmm. by, uh, you know, drinking a little powdered milk and uh, walking a, a couple of kilometers uh, to, to, to your office, which yeah. I do. What, what it shows you, though, No, that, but that's a lot of money, it, man. So it's a combination, though, right? It's the small things that matter, saving small yeah. amounts of money, and then getting that working for you. And getting it working that's for right. you. Right, compounding, the power of, course, of compounding. Yeah. That's it. So, okay, so your table of contents, you got a, mm-hmm. probably 60 chapters in here, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 60 ideas. But I'm going to go through one that just catches my attention because yeah. of the television show Storage Wars. Right. Um, you know, that storage business is a good business, first it's of all. It's an amazing business. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things, gee whiz, do you want to actually be a customer or the owner? And I just uh, did a renovation on our family cottage, and we actually had a rent-a-storage bin for seven months. Mm-hmm. And the cost of that storage bin for seven months was $1,700. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in it, we, we put, I guess, about, I don't know, $10,000 worth of furniture. So to protect that 10000 bucks worth of furniture cost me 20, almost 20% of its value over a seven-month period. Very, very costly. But again, if you're doing a reno, you got to throw the stuff out, which isn't good for the environment, not smart for your pocketbook. But uh, the point is, I didn't want to have that storage locker too long because at some point it would have ate into my capital, i.e. my my beds and my coaches. So what, what, what's with the title self-storage sashimi? Give me the story on well, that. Well, it's cash flow cookbook. So everything has a lot of bad uh, puns, food-related puns, restaurant ah, puns. All right. uh, so hence the sashimi. I don't even know if I can say yeah, well, that. I always say to my clients, I eat my own cooking. I, I have my money and so does Jack. <laughs> we eat our own cooking. We have our own yeah. money invested in our strategies. So that's good. Yeah. So, I mean, when you look at these whole storage lockers, typically 
what happens. Somebody gets divorced or somebody passes away. What do you do with all this stuff, whole household of furniture? And so the instinct is because you own it. We've got this emotional connection to it. So you rent a storage locker, you put it in. Now, if you've had the experience of having to clear out a house from perhaps a parent who passed or whatever, you literally can't give away this furniture. It carries <laughs> almost no value. And if it didn't work in what your old house... What about those console televisions? Well, yeah, what, what are you going to do with the TV in the middle of it? And if it didn't work in your old house, it's probably not going to work in the next one either. But you're going to be paying these storage lockers, and the prices are astonishing. So if you take a, a case where you've got a, a good-sized one for $400 a month... Some of them now, run for 400 a month? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you get a good-sized one that could hold, say, an apartment, $400 a month, if you think about that, take that $400 a month, you invest that 7% yeah. for 20 years, $200,000. That's wow. more than a lot of people retire with, right? For storage locker, now what are you going to do when you go to sell everything in the locker if you've had that experience? You're getting almost nothing for it. So I think you're smarter to sell it, get the stuff up on Kijiji, give it to a charity. You know, there's a lot of homes and those kinds of things. We'll take that kind of furniture, give you a tax receipt, and spare yourself that ongoing cost. Invest that difference or use it to pay down some consumer debt. You know, Jack and I, to, to some degree, are minimalists. Not, we're not, but we are. We, we, you know, we appreciate the concept of being, you know, a minimalist. But again, <laughs> we, we live very extravagant lives, you know, on mm-hmm. a relative basis we do. Yeah. But uh, I always thought the world was trying to declutter. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought the world was waking up saying, let's declutter. Less is more. It's all about the experience as the millennial. Yet, as I drive around the city and head to the cottage, the, these storage lockers are popping up everywhere. So I think yeah. people are buying or, or, or people, hang on people to are, clutter. People are attached to their things, right? Uh, it's, it's being attached to, even in our business, people get attached to bad stocks. They don't oh, want to let yeah. them go. That's right. right? That's For right. whatever reason, it's That's human right. emotion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it drives in all asset classes and people end up storing a bunch of junk for 400 bucks a month. That's exactly it. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other uh, good little tidbits here for us, Gordon? Any, well, that's in your book? Yeah, i got all kinds of them. You know, interesting one is clothing. Um, a stat that I came across time and time again is that people only actually wear 20% of the clothing that they buy. So if you think about an average uh, Canadian household, $85,000 of income, they spend about 6%, $5,000 a year on clothing, but they only actually wear 20% of it which means that they're wasting $4,000. What happens to it is you, you put it out on the lawn at the yard sale at the end of the year, you give it to the coat driver or whatever. So really taking a look, buying those things that you actually need to, to fulfill a wardrobe or you need the brown shoes because you've got a brown belt that you never wear, but not buying things or not shopping for the sake of shopping. So that was another one that was massive. This also, how, about, hey, how, about, how about stop buying water? Because uh, oh, we, we do this there. at the cottage yeah. all the time. Yeah. My parents are listening right now. Yeah. What do you say to them? Well, I think the water thing is, uh, it's crazy. You're talking bottled water. Bottled water. Bottled water, from an environmental perspective, it's horrific. It's toxic. It's toxic. It's terrible. And, you know, you you carry around a container, and at a restaurant, you don't need the you know, the fancy water. You just go sure. to the tap water, it's exactly the same thing. I saw, I heard a, a read in a scary article, too, about bottled water, saying mm. it's very, very small uh, microscopic yes. fragments of plastic yep. are actually getting into consumers' bloodstreams yep. and staying there. Yep. Y- your body can't. Uh, metabolize it. Well, yeah, and the, the worst part about the water, bottled water, excuse me, bottled water is you end up buying this bottled water and then you end up throwing it down the drain. You drink half of it. You don't know whose it is. Yep. You got a family of, you know, five so, people around. So, again, Kathy, my wife's going to hate me for this, but I'm going to say it anyway. So I'm barbecuing um, <laughs> way too much meat. So we, we overpurchased on the meat front, but then we ha- I had flames. So I asked my daughter to get me some water so I can d- douse out the flames on the barbecue. Perrier? My wife handed her uh, some <laughs> bottled water. She said, well, it's this year. I said, well, don't use bottled water. Yeah. Well, if it was Two bucks for a case yeah. of 24. 
I'm still 15 well, cents. Well, you know, here, here's my quick rant on the bottled water thing. I, I bought this book called Plastiki about this guy who built this boat out of pop bottles to point out the issue of all this plastic in the ocean. Mm-hmm. So I buy this book at a bookstore, and the lady says, would you like a bag for that? Really? Yeah, give me more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the Cashflow yes. Cookbook, uh, it's available on Amazon. Amazon.ca, also available at cashflowcookbook.com. Excellent. Gordon Steen, real pleasure to have you on the show. I wish you success in yeah. helping Canadians, you know, set up their retirement just as Jack and I are trying to do. Just taking a different angle. So really appreciate having you on Hi-Fi Radio. Yeah. Coming up next, a popular guest, in fact, probably our most popular guest on Hi-Fi Radio, Brad Lamb, president of Brad Lamb Realty. If you're looking for a condo, tis the season. Brad's going to, uh, you know, give you the lay of the land right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Life would be back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Last time I said she's a bread lamb. In studio for you, my friend. I love that song. I was actually on a corporate trip, and somehow I got a hold of the portable speaker that was uh, Bluetoothed up to someone's iPhone. I said, "Find Brickhouse," and so and this little bus started to play, and I started to do the brick, and then everyone went house, <laughs> and they were just loving it, absolutely loving. It. I was like in Copenhagen, a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so I gave you some wine glasses, and they said, "I need some wine glasses for your office," uh, but uh, you said uh, you don't really drink wine, eh? No, I, I don't drink wine. But you're interested in buying a vineyard. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, um, I, I'm interested in, uh, obviously, I, I'm interested in real estate. It's it's uh, more than my job. It's it's a passion. I, I just spend so much time looking uh, in, 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 in Toronto, uh, nationally, um, internationally. And, uh, you know, over the years, I've, I've, uh, I've created uh, a, a bit of wealth. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I have a plan for the different uh, pieces of real estate I'm going to have personally, and and I think that uh, um, one of the the pieces of real estate I'm going to uh, buy in the next few years will be a vineyard. I know nothing about wine uh, in Ontario, or no, no. I, you know, I, I don't have any interest in owning a vineyard in Ontario. I want something that has. Uh, more kind of romance to it. I love it, man. Yeah. I'm so there. Like, yeah. I, I've seen that before on television, some uh, Italian communities that have basically become ghost towns. And the, for, for the signature on a deed, plus a commitment to uh, refurbishing the, the little uh, village, shall I say, it can all be yours. Uh, you can buy castles in, 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 in uh, Italy, apparently, abandoned castles. Or, yeah. So, so, yeah. so is yeah. this to diversify yourself? Is it for the, it's not for the cash flow, I'm going to say that. Um, or is it just an interest that you have or just love for real estate? Well, um, I have a love for wine. That's, that's yeah, I was going to say, we'll buy one just the, just just the grapes. <laughs> you know, I, I got to say, I, I, I'm a bit of a squirrel. I, I just like owning stuff. And, and um, <laughs> I, I don't think I'm going to get hurt owning um, this kind of, kind of asset. So I've looked, I've looked in, uh, in Tuscany. I've looked in France. And you'd be amazed at, uh, at the historic properties you can buy for Five million dollars U.S. What could you get for five million U.S.? What have you come across? Oh, you can get a twenty thousand square foot chateau uh, or castle, uh, in, in easily and and with a hundred to two hundred acres of vineyard of of land. Now, vineyards typically in Tuscany 
and in France are uh, more around the 20 hectare area. And That's they, the size of them. It's about 40 acres. Yeah, and they generate you know 20,000 bottles of wine a year. That's and, all, and all the facilities are there to to do that. Now I don't. I have no idea how hard or easy it is to make wine. It, it's, diff- it's not easy. It's difficult. It's yeah. a lot of hard work. Yeah, I probably have to employ some guys, the local guys. Well, migrant are, workers, I think, would, would help yeah. you with that certainly. I don't know. I think that as I uh, as I get older and uh, and think about um, you know what I where I want to be. Uh, you know, you, one thing that wealth gives you is the flexibility to to not necessarily be where you are now. You know, so I, I've I've been thinking about what I you know what I what I want to do with the rest of my life. I'm going to continue doing what I do work wise, but I'm also thinking, you know, um, where else do I want to be? What else do I want to see? What other challenges do I want to make? And 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 I think that I I like the idea of owning this. Uh, uh, you know, a, 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 it, by the way, they they also are, have olive tree um, mm-hmm. plantations. And uh, and some uh, wheat and, and other items. So I own farms around Ontario. I own eleven farms around Ontario. Mm-hmm. And are they actually being farmed? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Most of them are being farmed by farmers, and they pay me rent. Mm-hmm. The rent really in Ontario, the rent's terrible. It's nothing. No, no. But in other places uh, where farmland is more is more um, is is uh, more lucrative, uh, you can. Like for for instance, I also look. I, I'm planning on buying not to diversify the talk, but I'm planning also buying a large farm in Saskatchewan. I'm I'm creating sort of a land agricultural so th- a business. The the farms that you're buying, you talk about the rent. Are you land banking and just collecting the the cash flow along the side, looking to at some point develop this land, or is it uh, you just want to own good quality farmland? Well, initially the idea was. Um, uh, I, it's just it amazed me. You know, twenty years ago, you could buy a hundred acres in Milton for um, three hundred and fifty thousand dollars Canadian. I just couldn't believe it, so I bought a farm. I had no need for it. Is, is there a greenbelt? Is a greenbelt property? It wasn't, and then it t- was put into greenbelt. Oh, yeah, it, was it went the other way. It, it went. From, it went from being in, uh, developable to being greenbelt. Y- yeah, yeah. So when the when the so when did the, the value fall? When the greenbelt? No, the value went up. That farm is worth about two hundred two million today. Mm-hmm. So the great the, the interesting thing is even though. Um, farmland is undevelopable in some areas. Uh, the values have continued to rise. Um, you know, if you want to buy a farm now in, in uh, you know, two hours north of Toronto, you're going to spend a million dollars for, for 100 acres. A million. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember there was a public company that was created, I'm going to say back in 2007 when ag and potash was all the rage because uh, potash was just went through the roof, uh, subsequently corrected significantly. But um, they were then talking about... Uh, uh, Buying up all of these family farms in Saskatchewan and creating a public entity, uh, and and having them uh, managed uh, and operated by a big conglomerate, uh, so apply some economies to scale and the likes. Uh, I don't know how that project uh, uh, played out over the following ten years, but uh, I never heard much on it. But there was big talk about moving to out west and buying uh, farmland in Saskatchewan. Uh, we have Brad Lamb in the studio, an absolute treat for Jack and I on High Fire Radio. Uh, we're really talking about how to protect your money, I guess, a store of value. Brad's obviously a real estate expert, um, but he has a lot of romance in him as he wants to perhaps put some money into Tuscany. But we got a really colorful story uh, coming up with Brad Lamb right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hi-Fi Radio, 
Wolfgang Klein, Jack Hartle in studio with Brad Lamb, present founder of Brad Lamb Realty. I uh, I always enjoy speaking with you, Brad, because you're a very, very colorful guy, and you're a worldly man, and uh, you're a very successful man. Uh, I assume you came from, you know, not a lot, and built up a fantastic empire. Um, people like you, you know, when you have your house and you got your cottage and your cars and everything you need, and you still have excess cash flow. Uh, you want to protect that cash flow and uh, store of value. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had uh, a sommelier on from Tironi's. That's where I spent a lot of my money. Where I saved money here, I spent it at Tironi's. Um, and we're talking about uh, the store of value with wine. Uh, and so we had some French wine, some Bordeaux and the likes that were uh, 120 years old and the market value of about $350,000. Um, but uh, you have some other ideas in terms of store of value. And I want you to share the story with us, if you don't mind, uh, of your little ruby adventure. Yeah, well, for the last um, four or five years, uh, I've I so so let me start saying. Yeah, the story's good. We're yeah. at the very beginning. So yeah. so basically, uh, when I got married uh, several years ago, I was looking for a really really good diamond. I couldn't find one in North America. All the diamonds in North America can be large, but they're kind of not so good. <laughs> yeah, you know, I wanted uh, I, I I couldn't get F, but I wanted just below that, you know, because the F diamonds are pretty well hoarded by diamond people. So is, I, it, so is that the highest quality of the yeah, diamonds? Yeah. And they're hoarded. You never see them ever. Yeah, they're hoarded. I can't buy one in you, Toronto. You could, could not get one. one. No. No, no. No money? No. Okay. No. So. And even the, the, the scale below that, which is VVS2, it's very, very hard to find. Okay. So, so what I did was I found it where, the, where most of the diamonds in the world are cleared. It's Antwerp. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, me and three buddies went on a trip to to, uh, Ingl- to London and a- Amsterdam. Then I took a, a train to Antwerp and I negotiated. I went to three different guys. I'd set the meetings up, told them I wanted a fair four carat perfect uh, cushion cut diamond. And I, 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 uh, I, I bought the diamond there. Mm-hmm. And um, what, I, what I realized uh, when, I, when I did that, that I, basically I bought it for half price. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was never going to buy a diamond ring. That's not me. I buy a diamond, bring it to jewel to get a uh, ring made. Right. I, I, you know, I knew what my wife wanted. She'd showed me a picture like ten years or eight years before, and I kept it. You 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 ripped it out of the magazine. Yeah, but, I kept it. What a nice guy. Women love those stories. That's a nice story, man. Yeah. Well, she was, I don't to think do. she really appreciated. Like I, every Christmas, say, Kathy, what do you want for Christmas? This I'm is my ex-wife. My, no, my wife says, "Wolf." I say, "What do you want for Christmas?" She goes, "Wolf." I've been telling you all year. You're just not listening. Yeah. You ever get that line, Jack? Kate's birthday's this weekend, so yep. Have you been listening? I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, well, so Brad's smart. Yeah. He did his always pulled it, ripped, ripped out the ad, kept yeah. it. So I, so I, no. I, I bought it, and I, I, I did it for a very, uh, I think a very, you know, it was expensive. I probably ended up spending about a hundred grand on the whole thing, but, it, but uh, it would have cost me two hundred thousand for sure. So I thought that's interesting that uh, a little bit of effort like that, and I could save that kind of money. So I started thinking about. So, sorry, could you sell that diamond when you came back to, to Toronto for uh, twice the money or hundred percent markup? Well, it was appraised for two fifty. I could probably sell for one seventy five pretty quickly. How long do you think it would take you to sell it? Seriously, probably a month. Or take you okay a month? Okay. Yeah, I, I mean things like this. You know, not everyone can afford them, right? So they're no, uh, no, it's, yeah. It's, no. But but then so I started thinking about colored stones. I, I like colored stones. You know, emeralds, rubies, sapphires, and and you never see them uh, of good quality anywhere. I like, like blue you topaz. Just, you just don't. <laughs> well, they're they're pretty well worth, worthless. Yeah, they, they look they look, they look nice. great. They yeah, look amazing. They look lovely. Yeah. That's valid. It's all part of the cash flow cookbook. So I called my jeweler. <laughs> Who's a Swiss guy, and he's very, you know, he was trained in Switzerland. He's a top-notch jeweler in Toronto, and he made all my rings for various, you know, when I when I made them and earrings and so on. And I said, uh, t- tell me how this works. And so he told me. He said, the clearinghouse, the place to go is Sri Lanka. It's not nearly as 
organized a business as Diamonds. And uh, I said, okay, so let's go there. So I flew to Sri Lanka. To, flew to Sri Lanka. We had a contact there, a family, a very nice Muslim family that it's, it's uh, called the Muslim Market mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, in South Sri Lanka. And I, I, I bought uh, with them, I spent uh, about 16 hours negotiating with traders. Mm-hmm. And I bought um, five, five or six stones, spent 250000 U.S. Mm-hmm. So I'll give an example. Um, so I've, not, I've done that four or five times. So the last time I did it, uh, not this time because I just came back, but the previous time I went and I bought a six and a half carat ruby mm-hmm. and I bought it for 80,000 US mm-hmm. and I brought it back to Toronto and I, I, to get it appraised, got mm-hmm. appraised for 800,000 US. You paid 80? Yeah. And it's worth 800. Well, it's appraised at that. Now that appraised, doesn't mean right. like, so how you sell uh, gems like that, you can't, you can't sell those generally, because who has $800,000 to buy a ruby? You, you do them through auction. And the auctions would be mostly in Europe, mm-hmm. not New York, but London, uh, Paris, and, and, and other places. So, um, you know, I, I now have, uh, I, think, I think I have 16 uh, precious stones. All the stones I have are perfect. So I won't buy any, and, and by the way, rubies and sapphires are the same uh, uh, chemical material, right? The same stone, mm-hmm. just different colorations. And um, and rubies are far more valuable than emeralds. Uh, sorry, sapphires. But sapphires. Did I say emeralds and rubies? I meant sapphires and rubies are exactly the same, um, except rubies are more valuable. So I have about half and half, and and I've got a lot of stuff in the four, five, six, twelve carat range, sort of between uh, four carats and twelve carats. And so every now and then you open up your vault, you pull out a stone, you go to a gemologist, you get it appraised. So I get what I do is I, I, I get this, I get them all cleaned, um, repolished, and I get certs certifications all over New York. So I, I know where they're from and what they're worth and so on. And then every now and then I get them appraised. So I'll get one or so appraised every every year or so. And the idea is uh, I'm going to keep these for ever, mm-hmm. forever, and I'm going to build a storehouse of value. Uh, I'll try to buy forty or fifty in the next uh, ten or fifteen years. Mm-hmm. And those 40 or 50, you know, over that period of time should have a value of, I don't know, 10, 20 million, 10 million. Wow. I'll take that that money and parlay into Tuscany. I still like this Tuscany idea of yours. But, you know, Brad, you are an entrepreneur and that's, it's amazing and it's very exciting, uh, invigorating uh, to be around you really is uh, because you have a big, big mind, you think big. Uh, and uh, well, you diversify, but equally important, uh, you buy quality uh, and you buy low and sell high. Uh, so, uh, tenants of business, my good friend. Real pleasure to have you on, Brad Lamb, president of Brad Lamb Realty. If you need a condo, well, he's the man to speak with, certainly is. Uh, Hi Fi Radio, an absolute pleasure to present and bring to you each and every week. Jack Hartle, good job. And uh, your host, Wolfgang Klein, will be with you each Saturday. Looking forward to it next week as well. All the best. <laughs> You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.